0: Hello everyone, and welcome to this podcast on workplace communication styles. My name is Alison Bester, I'm a director here at Burndean, and I'll disclose here for reasons that will become clear that my default style of communications tends to be more introverted in preference.
1: Hi everyone, my name's Gwen Burridge, I'm a principal consultant at Burndean. I have more of an extrovert preference, but
0: more on that later. And at Burndean, a lot of what we do is about supporting organizations to increase their diversity and improve workplace inclusion. And because diversity is such a multifaceted thing, it manifests in many and complex ways. And one of those will be how we communicate with our colleagues. And that's the area that Gwen and I want to focus on today. Before we dive into it, one thing's clear. Effective communication with our diverse colleagues is going to be fundamental to workplace harmony and well-being. With corporate globalisation, the overnight digital transformation of communication in the pandemic, and increased awareness of diversity, this feels like a great moment to pause, take stock of how we can maximise the effectiveness of our communication. So I'm delighted to be talking about that with you, Gwen, today. I know it's something you've looked at a lot in your career Absolutely, yes. I've
1: probably been working and looking at communication styles and preferences since about 2004. And I think the main points for me are, first of all, that you know, when you talk about diversity, people really do have very different styles of communication and that it's based on preference. You know, We can talk about where preference comes from. It can be nature or nurture, depending on who you ask. I think I tend to land on the 50-50 thing on that score. But a simple example, you know, we refer to ourselves at the beginning as being either introvert or extrovert. Um, They're terms that were introduced by a Swiss psychiatrist and psychoanalyst, Carl Jung. He was from the 19th and 20th century, and he identified these terms basically as a simple way to help us understand preferences
0: better. What do you think people need to know? What are the basics we need to know about introvert or extrovert tendencies? Well, well, I'm really generalizing here,
1: but basically the first thing to really think about is that introverts prefer to speak less. You know they're probably going to be more quiet when they do speak. They may use less words. Whereas extroverts, they're a lot louder. You can't really ig- ignore an extrovert. They tend to be more verbose, and they're more dominant in conversations in general. You know, there's nothing wrong. All right, with either of these preferences, they are just a preference. And I guess one way you could use to describe how they manifest themselves, and it's most obvious, is in a meeting environment. If you've got a whole team of people who are diverse, then you're going to have a diverse range of preferences. If the meeting organizer, for instance, hasn't really planned it in advance, you know, circulated an agenda, this is what we're going to talk about, and this is what the outcomes of the meeting need to be in advance. Introverts may well not feel comfortable speaking up, particularly if they're asked to answer a question on the hop. And then, of course, what you're doing is you're missing all that great insight and all those opinions. And then we also talk about how people are perceived because extroverts, you know, they can see introverts and vice versa in a very different way. But extroverts, if they see introverts not speaking up much, may come away feeling disappointed or even frustrated at them because they didn't speak up. And then because we tend to judge on their impact they have on us, these judgments can, you know, they can hang around for a long time if we don't take some sort of action, you know, have some sort of dialogue to help us understand the differences and the preferences that we have for communication styles. And if we don't, the impact on the individuals and teams really shouldn't be underestimated because it can be quite significant.
0: Yeah, I'm seeing really strong potential there, Gwen, as you're speaking for conflict, for poor collaboration. There's this fundamental need to anticipate and understand difference. And if you add in hierarchy into those meetings and pre-existing team relationships, sounds like a bit of a powder keg to me. And then at the moment when meetings are hybrid, we've got another dimension of difference, which might mean we're not hearing from some people, I guess. What do you think, people most need to understand then about introvert, extrovert preferences, tendencies? I might not be using the right language there. What do you think they most need to understand to get this right?
1: Well, I think they just need to understand that it's about two things. First of all, it's about energy. And what I mean by energy is physical energy. And it's how we demonstrate how we use it in our daily interactions. And then secondly, that perception and that people with different preferences can perceive each other very differently. At Burn we talk a lot about intent and impact, and this is really similar. I'll give you an example of where it can go awfully wrong. So if you have somebody who's a leader, for instance, who Mm. is an extrovert, and then all of a sudden there's some sort of fire drill or some sort of urgent action needs to be taken, they may well use very strongly delivered language to impress upon everybody in the team, we've got to do this, we've got to do this now. But depending on how strongly they deliver it, people who have more of a preference for introversion They may not perceive it very well, even though they might understand the intent. They may still perceive this as being really aggressive or even, I use this word advisedly, the B word, bullying.
0: Can I get, I want to come in there, Gwen? Yeah, go for it. Wouldn't introvert me understand what extrovert you meant in that circumstance? Because I can see flames or something. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I mean, I guess to a certain extent that is true.
1: And, you know, there's a lot of other things we have to bring into this, which is about the relationship and understanding. We don't know intent, but if we work with somebody a long time, we can probably assume that they have a positive intent. But I think if we are in a situation where somebody is almost shouting at us, even with the most positive of intent, it can still land pretty badly with us sometimes. Do you know Mm. what I mean? Yeah, are you saying that, that I'll revert to type in extreme situations? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that there's sort of the way that we communicate, we can communicate either way, we just react. So when you react to a situation, so the one I just described, you will revert to type. So your strongest preference, I call it engaging your mouth before your brain. <laughs> And when we have to take instant action or we don't have time to respond or think about how we're going to respond, that's what we're going to do. Whereas if we're in a situation where we do have the time to engage our brains before our mouths, we will then hopefully respond in a much more thoughtful way so that we can manage sometimes what might be a strongly delivered message as in the example I just quoted.
0: Mm, I think I'm getting it. And I kind of want to throw in the B word here, bias. You mentioned preferences and assumptions that we make. And I think we've got, I certainly have got pictures in my mind about what great communication is or what a great communicator looks like in any given situation or, or maybe what the best way to communicate is. And the same applies, the same guidance applies as it does to all types of biases. But we just need to slow down, notice that we're having these automatic behaviours, challenge the assumptions we might make about what the right approaches and think about how that might play out the meeting situation that you described there mm. is such a familiar one to me so familiar mm-hmm. but I also think that I will behave very differently in a one-to-one situation than I would behave in, in a meeting situation so one-to-one with you I behaved differently to when I'd say in a town hall with people I didn't know there's a great metaphor about introverts from Susan Kane. she wrote the book Quiet oh, about yes. introversion and she describes that some people need a long runway. And I really like that idea. And I certainly do. I need that chance to get ready, to build up to things, to prepare, to know the environment I'm going to be in. And and this bit's critical. I I think when people do get that, they can fly. And it's exactly what you were saying about understanding that people might need different conditions based on those preferences to do their best work in this.
1: Yeah, absolutely and I think the other thing just to mention I mean I don't want to get too controversial here but talking again about that uh, that fire drill example I think there's a lot of research out there also that talks about how important tone is and if we think about someone say like Barack Obama everybody loves the way he communicates he's got this real silky voice he's got a great manner about him you know it's a it's a lovely thing to listen to then Trump comes along and we've got somebody who's much more direct and quite forceful in his communication style but also the words that he chooses It's almost like chalk and cheese. You could argue neither of them were introverts and they're not, but they could also be extroverts, but different types of extroverts. And this is where going down into the detail of this, you know, there's not a one size fits all approach. People are very different in how they communicate
0: then I'm starting to worry a bit. Is there any day-to-day guidance we can have then if, if it comes down to so many variables and even extroverts, we can't predict how they'll be or introverts because they might be different forms of it. What would your guidance be then? I think it's all about really self-awareness.
1: At the end of the day, if we, are, if we know that we're somebody who, if we're in a reactive type of situation, can come across really a little bit too forcefully. Armed with that information, we can then manage ourselves a bit better and then be a bit more thoughtful about how we actually react and how we operate on a day-to-day basis. And, and you know, turn that on its head as well. You know, you described earlier on is how you manage your introversion and how you're able to do much more because you're, you're well aware of how you would naturally prefer to operate. So we sort of learn skills and tactics, if you like, as we go through life that help us manage our strongest preferences. Do you see what I mean there?
0: Yeah, I do. And, and I've heard you, you also explaining about how, you, how that feeling you get when you're talking to someone with a different preference and, and yeah. how you can manage that. Will you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, in general terms, again, you know when you're interacting with someone who has quite a different preference to you, you sort of feel that sort of awkwardness or conversations can be strained in the sort of the, the most diverse situation where you have somebody with a very strong introversion and strong extroversion, it can almost feel as if you're talking a different language.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, it, it is actually really difficult when you are on opposite sides of the spectrum, if you like. So some of the things you could do, I mean, for a start, just acknowledge that these feelings are they're like a message to you, really. It's, it's quite a, a quick way of understanding, aha, this person is quite different to me. And then I think, you know, having that self-awareness is great, but then also understand some of this stuff to the point where you can then have an awareness of other people's preferences so that you know when you initially come together and talk with somebody who is different to you, you can quite quickly go, aha, I know this person probably would prefer me to slow it down a bit or speed it up a bit or whatever it happens to be. And there are a lot of tools out there that can help us understand the theory of this in a lot more detail. There's tools out there such as Myers-Briggs or MBTI and Insights Discover, which are both based actually on Carl Jung theory. And they produce these reports which really does help people to increase their self-awareness and also help identify other people's preferences much more easily. And then once we do that, it's so much easier to help us understand some of the tactics or strategies that we can use that'll help reduce the impact of our preferences on others, particularly those who are very different to us.
0: Can I throw in a concern I have here? Yeah, go for it. Concern um, about... It, sort of, any kind of categories you know that the, there are mm. 16 mbti categories aren't there and yeah. and i i remember doing these a while back and, and the person who did the test on me was really clear about they have to be used properly don't they they have to be implemented by somebody who's properly trained and knows mm. how to use them because it's not a case of you categorize yourself as this and say i'm x and therefore i'll behave like this and you're y and therefore you'll behave like that they're really about tools to be used I'm choosing my words carefully but intelligently aren't they Gwen so that yeah. you're not categorizing it's a, a starting point for awareness is that have I said that in the right sort of way yeah I think you have I mean different tools
1: have different outputs to a certain extent but they do raise your awareness of how you prefer to operate you know and I think that you know I take the point that these if you take these things too seriously, you can end up categorizing yourself and putting yourself in a box. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important just to put it into perspective that it is about just increasing your awareness of where your preferences lie so that you can be much more effective in your day-to-day interactions. And how can you measure it? You, you have to measure it to some degree or another. So I guess what, we, what I'm trying to say is, at the moment, we're just talking introversion and extroversion, and, we're t- and I'm talking more in extremes. Really and truly, we are all somewhere in between so yeah. these tools just help us really drill down a bit more to help us identify the extent to which we prefer those preferences and actually it's all shades of gray so it's just helping us to understand in more detail where our preferences lie but hopefully just not putting us into a oh I'm an extreme person of introversion or extroversion
0: it's so useful when you explain it like that because my partner describes himself as an introvert but he also has um adult adhd which means he's high energy in many many ways and in a one-to-one situation will neither stay still nor shut up <laughs> so if you sort of describe the typical introvert, it wouldn't be him mm. but it's, I, so i think there's so many sort of angles on it then you've explained it really really helpfully yeah and I think the other
1: thing to remember you you talked about all the different other influences that come in depending on which tools you use some of them will be sort of the holistic view of how you as an individual prefer to operate whereas some like insights discovery is just about how you prefer to communicate at work and how you, you know because for me I'm an extrovert at work but outside of work I'm much less extrovert I can be almost quite introvert sometimes and so what we need to think about is you know sometimes this is not about us holistically it's only in certain situations Mm. and we learn so for instance you know I grew up in an environment where my father was really shouty and loud and my mother was really quiet and you know for whatever reason I decided to to be like my father (laughs) and be really shouty and loud as did my brother so therefore you you know, there is that nature and nurture type thing coming out in you, mm. but also you just learn how to behave based on what you witness around you. You know, and I I may not have been so extrovert if my father hadn't been so shouty, I guess, as an example.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, do you know what? And I, then I'm thinking about inclusion in workplaces and, and what we might naturally have grown accustomed to as normal in our workplaces and because of our upbringing and what some people might find challenging. And I think there's a whole nother podcast, something I'm always interested in is the balance between character and personality. So somebody who's introvert, more introvert in preference, I put it that way, might behave in a quite vocal extrovert way if there was an issue which their character meant and they had to intervene on. So those things will interplay as well. So you yeah. might have a, a really sort of ambitious introvert for example and the character is that ambition this matters to me um, so much I am going to behave in a way that's contrary to my natural type
1: yeah, I totally agree with you. And actually, I believe personally that the way we behave is driven ultimately by underlying feelings and beliefs about things, particularly beliefs yeah. as well, because I think beliefs actually drive feelings, which then drive behaviors. So even if you are somebody who is a, a quite a strong introvert, if somebody pushes the right button, you could always end up acting almost outside of that normal preference because it is such a, or yeah, whichever way you look at it. So that you would end up behaving in, in quite a different way. So therefore, there are so many things that are all sort of pulled in, put into this melting pot of what it is that we, uh, I call it the lens through which we see the world, and then how we behave as a result, how we communicate as a result. There are so many, as you say, other variables in there in the mix. It just really is not simple.
0: Yeah. And we're back around this idea of inclusion with our colleagues being Mm. about constantly challenging ourselves to think about how one person's style approach preference values might be different to our own and what will help us understand that more And, and leaders in particular holding back from generalization being curious about the people they lead. And, and the noticing, I think as well, when we're more likely to lean in to some people's styles, characters, preferences, and lean out from others and being just with so many aspects of diversity, so conscious about the assumptions that we're making
1: So, you know, that understanding, really spending time understanding people's preferences is a really good start. You can use profiling tools. They do have a cost attached to them, but it really helps. You could also explore preferences if you don't have the money or the time to be able to do that. If you're somebody who wants to be more self-aware and not just thinking about how you operate, but also, you know, how, what is it like being on the receiving end of you? What does it feel like? You can go out to people, you know, people in your office that you work directly with or peers or people in other parts of an organisation and just ask for feedback and just mm-hmm. say, you know, how do I come across in meetings or, you know, what, how would you describe my communication style? What really do you think is effective? What could I do differently? And you can do that for free. Just send an email that just say, I'd, I'd really love some feedback. you obviously got to be prepared to receive the feedback. <laughs> But, you know, if you ask the right questions, it's going to give you some really good evidence of where your strongest preference or preferences lie. And then it's going to really help increase your self-awareness.
0: I really like the idea. It's a scary idea, Gwen, but it's a brilliant (laughs) idea. I'm thinking, don't tell me what you'd say now. But, But if we're going to learn, if we're going to get better at this, if we're committed to inclusion, then asking difficult questions and hearing difficult answers is going to be a really fundamental part of that. Because at its heart, it strikes me what we've been talking about here is creating psychological safety. Mm, And and this is just a really important aspect of it. And one which I'm not sure gets the attention and the focus that others do. Yeah. And actually, you
1: know, if you think about it in a that going back to that meeting environment again, particularly more for introverts than extroverts, you know, because most extroverts, they seem to have natural psychological safety because they can't help themselves but talk. But if you want to create a truly psychologically safe environment for more introverts to speak up, then understanding that that's just the way they prefer to operate is such a great start to to creating that. Right. Yeah.
0: Understanding. Yeah. And so I think as we leave 2021 which has been a challenging year for communication <laughs> with lockdowns and digital and now we're getting practiced at hybrid working i think this is going to be even more important as an element of awareness to focus on yeah absolutely agree yeah we shall see and as we think about that, if anyone has any more questions about this or would like to carry on the conversation, I know Gwen or myself would be delighted to do that and our contact details will be at the end of the podcast, but please do get in touch with us. Yeah, and we would be lovely you- to hear from you, yes. <laughs> we wish you all the best for 2022 and may your communication be harmonious.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everyone.